Hello, Pastor Steve Waldron with Biblical Archaeology Today. I am so grateful you're here with us, and I'm very thankful to be your host. And we're looking today at some primarily Gnostic writings of the 2nd century A.D. A lot of times I've noticed, you know, people say 2nd century A.D. Yeah, that's not that old. But when you say the 100s A.D., which is what the 2nd century indicates, they're like, oh, man, that's really old. And so this is part of a series we've been doing at night. You might want to check out our other podcast in this series and also our thousands of other podcasts. I say thousands, plural. I think it's only 1,600, 1,700. But uh, and we try to do all things biblical archaeology. And, of course, manuscript finds are part of archaeology. A great number of these Gnostic finds would be from Nag Hammadi, which we've done individual podcasts on that, and also Oxyrhynchus, Oxyrhynchus. So a very significant one we're going to start with today. Again, thanks for being here. And uh, I've already mentioned checking out our other podcasts on the channel. Please subscribe. Is Valentinus. Now, the reason he is so significant is because to anybody's knowledge, the Gnostics had, among several other doctrines, kind of uh, quasi-Trinitarianism linked to them. And he is the first to use the term three hypostasis in reference to the Christian God that uh, anybody can find. And so, and it's found in Valentinus's On the Three Nature. He's writing somewhere from 120 to 160 A.D., and the text comes from Marcellus of Ancyra, who was, I think, he ended up being accused of Sabaeanism, not Gnosticism. But Valentinus, as a fragment B, the leader of a sect, was the first to devise the notion of three subsistent entities, hypostasis, in a work that he entitled On the Three Natures, where he devised the notion of these three subsistent entities and uh, persons, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. So uh, that is the significance, because... Uh, that being the case, it would tend to be, you know, Trinitarianism, which, I mean, there are so many. One has nine different models of the Trinity, another has 13 different models of the Trinity. So you can go from everything from outright tritheism to subillionism and everything in between kind of is called Trinitarianism, but somewhat classical Trinitarianism. Boy, I hate to even call it classical because classical Trinitarianism sometimes veers towards oneness, strangely enough. But, um, so I'm not sure that would be the proper terminology. But anyhow, let's say historic Trinitarianism or something along those lines would uh, be uh, Gnostic in character from the evidence. The Apocrypha, and I'm not trying to throw shade at people who believe in the Trinity. Please trust me on that. The Apocrypha of John and, uh, Secret Sayings of the Apocryphon of John is a website, Gnostic uh, Heretics and all this. Bentley Layton in the Gnostic Scriptures, which is a fascinating book. I think I've got a review over on New Life of Albany, Georgia. Manuscript, three at Nag Hammadi, one elsewhere. In summary, in Irenaeus attests the circulation no less than four distinct editions of the Greek text in antiquity, such a series of editions must have resulted from continual study and revision. Uh, 
of uh, the Apocryphon of John. I think we looked at the Apocalypse of Peter earlier by Gnostic teachers. And uh, it's pretty interesting how ubiquitous that Gnosticism was. And some even say in the New Testament era and that uh, certain aspects of like Colossians and maybe in the epistles of John, even they're trying to refute that in those time periods. So uh, I'm just sitting here looking on this wonderful list from earlychristianwritings.com which if I didn't mention, we're using kind of as a basis. We have the Gospel of Peter, Secret, Mark. I'm afraid I skipped over the other Apocalypse of Peter and the Secret Book of James and then the Preaching of Peter. I may have skipped over a couple of those, but at least I give them to you now. And then the Gospel of Mary, which I've recently done some individual podcasts on, at least one, maybe more. Um... 120 to 180 A.D. And uh, in her introduction to the complete Gospels, Karen King names the manuscripts available for the Gospel of Mary. Only three fragmentary manuscripts are known to have survived in the modern period, two third century fragments, and a longer fifth century Coptic. And uh, the Gospel of Mary exalts Mary Magdalene over the male disciples of Jesus. Gospel of Mary provides important information. I remember reading in uh, one of the, <laughs> I don't know if it was this one, but the disciples were like, why don't you kiss us like you kiss Mary Magdalene? Which that goes back to this ancient tradition, Glastonbury and other places, in France and the UK. And uh, then the cross on the Merovingian line and all this. Was that Merovingians or the Habsburgs? Keys to this blood, real popular stuff that... They're the descendants of the offspring of Jesus and Mary Magdalene. Um, I'm just sitting here looking. She is the Savior's beloved, uh, possessed of knowledge and teaching superior to that of the public tradition. Now remember, she had seven devils in her at one time, so I've thought in times past, maybe those devils are lying spirits. They make up junk about Mary Magdalene, obviously. And then the dialogue of the Savior. Let's read a little bit about that. And this is again from earlychristianwritings.com. Highly recommend the source. It's a little liberal from what I would consider my understanding and my studies, but still a lot of great information. It talks about the complete Gospels, annotated scholars' version, Nag Hammadi Library in English, the other Gospels, uh, by Ron Cameron, Westminster, non-canonical gospel text. So the dialogue of the Savior is preserved in a single Coptic uh, copy found in Codex Three of the Nag Hammadi Codices. But it is dated to the uh, second century A.D. Um, that's the dialogue of the Savior. Then we come to the Gospel of the Savior. And the Gospel of the Savior is also known as P. Berlinsius 22220. It was discovered by Charles W. Hedrick and Paul Allen Marecki, who published the book on it in 1999. Again, it dates uh, Gospel of the Savior, New Ancient Gospel. And again, it dates from somewhere near the uh, middle of the... Uh, 
second century AD. And the second apocalypse of James, the second apocalypse of James, Nag Hammadi, notice so many of these come. And again, 120, 180, Wolf Peter Funk writes in the New Testament Apocrypha, volume 1, page 328, original language, date, and place of origin, although there's no firm evidence for it, it's generally assumed the extent Coptic copy of second apocryphal of James goes back to a translation from the Greek. And he gives reasons why. So we're going to stop there and uh, keep going. I, uh, I didn't intend to make this series near as long as it is, but I was just going to just maybe take two podcasts and just read through ancient Christian writings and that type of thing. But there were so many, at times I wasn't acquainted with them, even though I've got some acquaintance with, I think I've got the Nakamadai Library, obviously the Gnostic, I mean, yeah, Gnostic Gospels and, and all this, but uh, some of them I've never even heard of. And uh, I thought, well, it would be good just to give a sentence or two about them anyhow, so it's turned into something a little longer. So God bless. Thanks for being here. Join us daily. Share with your friends, family, church, family. Maybe make a notebook or journal of things you find interesting. Leave us a five-star review. Just helps people find us. God bless you. Bye-bye.